and welcome to Evaluand, a podcast about the land of evaluation between you and me, your host, Dana Linnell Wanzer. This is the show where we interview people about any and all things evaluation related. This week, we're chatting with Anne Webb Price and Susan Wolf about coalition evaluation. Anne and Susan, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Dana. Hi, Dana. Thanks for having us. Oh, thank you for coming. So I'd like to start off like I always do. Can you introduce yourselves to our listeners, uh, maybe who you are, what you currently do, and how you got into evaluation? Susan, do you want to start? Well, I guess I can. Um, Well, I've been an evaluator for over 35 years now. I kind of... um, got into it not realizing I was evaluating. I thought I was doing research and then later realized it was all evaluation. But again, 35 years ago, who knew? Um, I'm a community and developmental psychologist. Um, I have my own consulting firm, Susan Wolf and Associates. And I also have a temporary part-time, I work with the University of Washington's uh, medical library for the network of the National Libraries of Medicine on the um, all NIH is all of us research program evaluation team. It's a lot, it's such a mouthful. But in the past, I've worked for medical organizations, government, schools, and done university research. So have kind of a crazy um, combination of experience, I would say. And just like Susan, I am also a community psychologist. That's actually how we bonded at AEA, I don't know, 10-ish years ago, maybe longer. Uh, But I come to community psychology and evaluation by way of a clinical background. Actually, I started out, uh, I have a master's degree in clinical and worked in treatment settings for probably about five or six years And my specialty was adolescent addiction. And after seeing kids get discharged uh, from treatment, still pretty ill, home to families that were uh, having, you know, issues and kids that were overdosing 24 hours after treatment, I really felt the pull to work in prevention. And that's how I ended up in community psychology. And community psychologists who are, don't really see themselves as academics uh, kind of gravitate towards evaluation. So I, that's how I found evaluation. I think evaluation ties very nicely with prevention, and that really is kind of where my heart is at. And when I'm not doing evaluation, I am baking bread. So you've probably seen my Twitter post. So Uh, Yeah, so we definitely need to have a bake sale or something at the next AEA. Oh, that would be lovely. (laughs) I would like to talk about more in a second about your backgrounds and identities as community psychologists. But first, how did you two meet and what is the nature of like the work relationship the two of you have? Well, I remember, I don't know what conference it was, but we got put on a roundtable session. And when I introduced myself, I introduced myself as a community psychologist and evaluator, which is what I typically do. And Susan from across the table says, 
I'm a community psychologist and I just helped uh, start the new community psychology TIG. You need to come to our business meeting. And the next thing I know, I'm co-chair right behind Susan. So that's how our, I remember our relationship starting. And then there might have been a few martinis at the bar at AEA along the way. <laughs> might have been. Yeah. Some of our collaboration actually started at the bar at AEA. <laughs> <laughs> so. Love it. We would just sit around and like, yeah, we should do that. We should do that. And I don't know how it just over time, we actually started doing things together and working together. And um, both of us realized we'd both do a lot of work with coalitions. So that was another sort of bond we had to similar work. That is so lovely. I love I love hearing stories about people meeting at the conference and taking it like so far beyond what typical conference ne networking ends up looking like, right? I just, I love those stories. Thank you for sharing. So you're both community psychologists and that's how you both uh, came to gravitate towards one another. So how, how does your identity as community psychologists inform the work that you do? I think as community psychologists, of course, there's a lot of focus on... Uh, Equity and justice is a big theme among us, as well as instead of looking at things from like a programmatic view, we look at systems and what, what can be done to make systems change ultimately. So although we love programs, um, ultimately we'd like to see systems change to the extent where maybe people don't need programs anymore. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So it's that kind of ecological approach and I think that's why we gravitate towards community coalitions and collaboratives, because at their best, that's what they do. So we spend a lot of time thinking about strategy and root causes versus just a straight program evaluation. So that's, uh, that's really, I think, how we ended up um, connecting and working with each other. Sometimes I sub uh, to Susan, sometimes she subs to me because we have that shared value system and perspective, uh, that collaboration between us is just natural. And I, I think another part too is our work styles and our work ethics also match. Um, both of us are, there's always that sort of meeting each other, making sure that we meet deadlines together. And we both have that sort of work style in common too. And I think that goes a long way. Yeah. And yeah, I think what really ties it all together, though, is our, our values and competencies as community psychologists. I think that's really core to our identity as evaluators. Interesting. That's so cool that that not only is it the, the background that you have, but also work styles maybe help people think about how they partner and who they partner with. I'm, I'm early enough in my career that I'm, I'm still figuring all that out. So it's really nice because I realized some of the people that I, um, I work with best do have similar work ethics and the people who don't have the same work ethics, even if we are like so gelled on everything else, it just doesn't quite work out. Um, so I love, uh, work style seems so critical. Yeah, Absolutely. So I want to talk a lot about coalition evaluation. I'm very eager to get into this. I've never done any type of coalition evaluation and thinking of evaluating a coalition kind of 
honestly boggles my mind just a little bit. I always like work within an organization and they're not, they might be working with other organizations, but we're not evaluating that. Well, let me take that back. I have done one, um, I've done one, what we might call a coalition. So um, I have a little bit of experience, but I left that project fairly early. Um, so like it just got off the ground as I, as I, as I moved on. So before we, before we get into like coalition evaluation, like how do we define a coalition? Cause I know there's a lot of different similar terms for things coalition like. So like, what do you mean by coalition? We mean uh, a collaborative, it can be a co collaborative of people or organizations with a similar goal, sort of focused on the same uh, focal issue and coming together to uh, work collaboratively. So, and, and when you talk about, you know, what is a coalition, sometimes they call themselves affiliates, uh, networks, collaboratives, coalitions. I'm trying to think of some of the more. There's term, a lot of different terms, but they're kind of all the same. They may operate a little differently. There may be nuances, like a network may be its sole purpose is for, to bring everybody together and just get people talking. So, it depends a little bit, but some networks are actually coalitions, so. Yeah, tomato, tomato. So you take a very expansive uh, definition approach to what you mean by coalition. It's just a bunch of organizations coming together and what that might look like might vary, um, but the idea of them coming together, that's what you're working with. Right, but what they need to have, I think, is that common purpose so that when they walk in the room to their collaborative coalition meeting, they take off their, their individual hat, they kind of put that aside. Yes, they, they bring that framework, that's, that's why they're there, but they put their, their own uh, organization's goal aside for the purpose of the coalition, ideally the community that they're trying to serve. Very cool. So then what does coalition evaluation look like in the work that you do? That's a big question. I apologize for that. Yeah, no, that, no, that's a great question. So um, if you like your evaluations complex and messy, then you will probably like coalition evaluation, right? So I talk a lot about coalition leadership and how that's so important. So you could be measuring aspects of the coalition leaders. Uh, you could be evaluating or should be evaluating the coalition structure that's in place. And then all along the way, you want to be, of course, thinking about what are the outcomes, right? So what are the strategies? What's the social or public health problem that we've uh, decided we want to work on? And what are those short, intermediate, and long-term outcomes look like? And so the evaluation is really complex. It's all of those levels, right, Susan? Yeah, you're kind of looking at different levels, like internal to the coalition, that what they're doing uh, the process for what they're doing, and then the outcomes for what they're doing. At the same time, you're looking at where they are in their development, because where the coalition is developmentally also will guide what you need to be doing evaluatively. So like Ann says, it's just so messy that that's what makes it really super fun. Yeah, and no, no worries as soon as you've uh, figured out what developmental stage they're in, they're going to shift, right? So they don't, it's not like a, you know, a straight line trajectory of, you know, 
Yay, we have arrived as a coalition. No sooner than you think they've reached a level of stability, something happens. A coalition leader changes or some organization has gotten into a disagreement with another organization or they see a shiny you know, object over there that they want to head off to. So it, it stays complex. Yeah, I've, I've worked with coalitions for maybe years, then all of a sudden their funding comes out and says, you know what, we want you to switch and use the collective impact model. So they have to go all the way back to the beginning and, and seriously restructure everything they're doing to do it differently. So, um, you know, what phase they're in now, they might be moving down that continuum and end up back at square one or square two or three. So they're moving targets sometimes. Now, does the size of the coalition coalition also affect things? And like, what's the biggest coalition you've you've worked with? Uh, for me, probably, I would say probably 40, 45 people. Um, but I... I wouldn't say size matters. As, as a matter of fact, um, I've, I've worked with community collaboratives who are so excited to tell you that they have 100 people in the room. And my guess is there's probably not a whole lot of collaboration going on, that you might have a lot of people in the room, but chances are it's a meet and talk kind of meeting where people are there for networking. They're not really unless there's work groups and committees that they're working in. Anyway, that's a, that's a long-winded way of saying that, yeah, size isn't the most important factor. It's are they working towards that common goal to make a difference in their community? That's the most important thing, I think. Yeah, that and the stability, because you might have 100 members, but you might um, have a different 10 showing up at each meeting. Mm -hmm. So how are you going to get anything done if a different 10 people keep showing up and saying, oh, well, I missed the last five meetings, so where were we? You, you never move forward. So you could have a coalition of maybe 10 people, but if those same 10 people show up and are able to keep working, that's better than the 100 people that there's always somebody different. You know, and the real rub is who are those people, right? If, if that's not, if those are not the people that you're intending to serve who really should be driving the work, then you probably definitely don't have an effective coalition, really. Yeah. Yeah. Who's at the table is the most important and if key people are missing. Right. So I've done a lot of work with uh, drug-free coalitions or community groups that are working to prevent substance abuse. It comes from, you know, that clinical background, that very negative experience, right? Um, and sometimes uh, they don't have any youth at the table, Right. So you've got a bunch of adults who are dreaming up prevention ideas for kids. Right. And then we end up being the, the just so say no people. Right. The people that are really trying to kind of spoil their fun. Um, and really all of that really needs to be driven by the youth themselves. So spend a lot of time. Uh, and that's just an example of, you know, one way that we really need to engage the community members that are most important. So what drew you to work with coalitions and do this type of work? For me, I know, Susan, you probably would agree. It really comes, um, it comes from our training as community psychologists. And, you know, I, and I feel like we hear this all the time in, um, in the evaluation world is 
well is if we really want to affect change, we need to involve the community members who are having the issue, right? So to me, it's a values thing. I, I really want to make a difference. And if I really want to make a difference, so take poverty, for example, backpack programs are great. Summer feeding programs are great. Is that really helping to change anything about poverty? Yeah, in my case, I was the evaluator for four uh, HRSA-funded Healthy Start grants, and they were required to have coalitions. And as I started working with those coalitions, it was dawning on me how each one had its own issues, its own, I mean, how different they were. They were this, focused on the same thing, but they were so different in terms of the missions and what they did and how they did it. And it, it just struck me that that was so interesting and fun so as I kept learning more about them and looking at them, then that's how my work expanded from there to other coalitions as well, because by then I really had gotten a lot more experience, done a lot more reading and digging into it. And, you know, so that was what got me going on them. <laughs> so we've, we've talked about systems a lot, systems approaches. I'm wondering, because it feels like people coming and doing systems work in evaluation they they have there's a bunch of different models for one and I, I get the sense that it depends on your background and training which approach you use to systems um, so I'm wondering is there a particular systems framework or a systems approach to your evaluation that you use in your evaluation probably base it in sort of a um, social determinants of health models looking at the different pieces, looking at the different aspects of social ecology and wh which ones kind of impact this particular focal area and what does that look like? And then, you know, okay, if we did this over here, how's it going to happen over here? So um, probably mostly looking at it using social determinants of health as more of a framework. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would say a, a socio-ecological, ecological approach. I remember uh, years ago, I was asked to evaluate um, a pilot program in the city of Atlanta. And it was basically an after school, pro it was an after school program. Um, and the advisory group wanted uh, to set goals like 100% of our kids will be um, competent or proficient readers. And most of the kids, it was one of the, if not the poorest performing elementary school in the Atlanta area, right? So they wanted to take these kids who could not, fifth graders, right, who could not read and take them like all the way over to the, right? And I, so I remember saying, okay, I'm thinking to myself in this advisory group meeting, I'm probably about to get fired right now. But I remember saying something like, hmm, those are awesome goals, right? We want every kid to be so competent and so confident, but we have to be like, realistic. If these kids in these two and a half hours are fed and loved and safe, aren't those also, you know, worthy goals? Because you're asking this two and a half hour after school program to do what this school cannot do, what this neighborhood cannot do, what the city cannot do, what the state cannot do, what the, what this nation refuses to do, right? So it was something like that. I'm, ooh, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about that because I remember it felt so risky to say that. But what I was trying to say is these issues are complex, 
right? And we can't put all of that complexity on this after-school program. Again, not that those goals, we want all of those things for these kids, absolutely, but we need a much more potent medicine than a two and a half hour after school mm. program. Mm -hmm. Those are just so key. <laughs> yeah. And the right medicine. Yes, definitely. So what do you think is the power that community coalitions hold in, you know, making these changes happen within communities? Synergy. You have, uh, the resources, if you bring together the right people, they have the resources and control over the resources. They can give you access. Um, they, there's, and then you bring them together and there's a power in bringing people together. There's a power in the kind of solutions they can come up with. There's a power in them being able to understand how each other's systems work so that they can figure out how they can mesh them to work more effectively and efficiently. Um, and just having the right people at the table in combination saves that sort of, and, and focusing together too, kind of starts to break the silos down that are out there because they see themselves as one instead of their being on their turf, you know, guarding their organizations. The other part too, is if you have a really good coalition, you have the community and you have community members and people who are experiencing the focal problem to be able to guide toward what, where the real problem is from their perspective and to help make those decisions and make sure that the solutions that are generated are the ones that are really going to make a difference instead of something generated from outside. And you have anything to add? No? <laughs> I thought that was a perfect answer. Awesome. So imagine I or another uh, emerging evaluator was interested in doing an evaluation of a coalition. What kind of things would you recommend to us as, as we start getting into this, this, into this type of evaluation? Oh, that's a fun question. I would um, tell them, tell you to probably start with, uh, the expectation that you're probably going to have to do some teaching about what is collaboration. So I go into a lot of community groups and they really think they're collaborating and they're really not. Um, they're really not. Collaboration means we're working together again towards that common goal. And what they're really doing is meeting and greeting. They're, uh, it's very often I'll be in a community coalition meeting and it'll be so-and-so talking about their activity. So we're having a book fair or, you know, this church is having this fundraiser or, uh, you know, what, whatever it be, whatever nonprofit or uh, community group, they're, sh they're just sharing. It's information sharing that could be done in an email. So you might have to back up even before you can think about evaluation and uh, just do some education on, okay, guys, what is collaboration? Of course, it really depends on what they're their uh, funding source is. Um, as Susan kind of alluded to earlier, it may uh, really depend. I do a lot of work with drug-free communities, so they have a very uh, kind of set way of thinking about logic models, for example. So they use a, a but why and a but why here approach, which I really love, right? So the but why here is what research tells us about why kids 
use substances, for example. The but why here is what is our local condition, right? So um, that's very helpful. So that education about collaboration, that uh, helping them get focused on what the root cause is, that local condition, that but why here. And then, then from there, you go on to build out the logic model and the evaluation plan. So, Susan, I don't know if you have anything to add. Yeah, I would add first, just spend time with that coalition. Actually go to meetings and be present. I, I remember one of the a state project where they hired an evaluation team to come in and evaluate one of the coalitions I was working with that was getting their funding, and they never came to a meeting even. Uh, and they, it was measurement driven. Do not start with the measures. Don't say, oh, I have all these, I found all these great coalition measures. Let's use them. Start with the coalition, where the coalition is, what does the coalition need? And don't start with the measures <laughs> and visit, be there. Right, exactly. And if somebody offers you, you know, fried chicken or to attend the Sunday supper, you say yes. Yeah. It sounds like you, people who want to do this type of work really should be interested in capacity building in this work, program capacity building, but also evaluation capacity building. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And I would say um, one of our favorite models is um, the community coalition action theory, which is uh, Michelle Kedler and Fran Butterfoss. So um, that's a great model and a great teaching tool for coalitions if they don't really have an idea of what a coalition is it's a great uh, there's she has a great um book but the one i really like is the one that uh, fran wrote a couple of years ago called ignite and i give that a lot to my coalition leaders it's super tiny she uses metaphors it's really simple uh, but it helps uh give them that understanding of what a coalition is and what i should be doing and I need to have, you know, it's all that boring stuff as well, the bylaws and things that they really don't want to do. Um, but yeah, education is definitely a big piece of it. And then being in community, as Susan says, attending those coalition meetings. Very cool. And um, how, how have these programs and these coalitions shifted or had to have shift because of COVID-19 recently? Well, Mine has gone online. Finally, <laughs> they didn't meet for a number of months. They were like, oh, "COVID, oh no!" And then all of a sudden, now just last month, they started meeting again. Um, so, definitely going to an online model for now and shifting. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree. I had um, a few that kind of did the turtle. Thing. They tucked their head in and kind of waited it for waited it waited it waited for it. Sorry, uh, to be over. The ones who shifted more quickly have seen actually an increase in participation. Right, so people that couldn't necessarily make a nine o'clock meeting on a Wednesday morning, right? Because that's sometimes what uh, coalitions do. They don't really think about when community members are most available. They just pick a time. So they've seen a lot of increased uh, in engagement. One of my coalitions has done a great job with involving their youth. So they have these teen talks. And so they've, they, their youth uh, coalition has really taken off because youth are available to, to uh, be engaged, like when, whereas they couldn't have maybe done that so easily before. So 
for the ones who have been willing to make a shift, it's they have and they're they're finding success. I did a virtual logic model for a coalition yesterday, so I've got another one next week. It is possible. It's 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 not always um, easy. Sometimes there's tech issues, but it is possible. How are, how are you doing a virtual logic model session with them? Uh, I threw in uh, the draft in a Google Docs, actually. So I'm, I've got the, the strategy team in this case, and they're all on Zoom. And I'm leading them through the questions like I would do any other uh, logic model. I, I use the tierless logic model approach a lot because that is... Um, so, you know, it's just not as intimidating when, you know, when we don't use our big words like outputs and outcomes, which most community members can't get straight, right? And so we just put it into Google Docs and I'm taking notes. So I'm asking the questions and they can see in live, am I, you know, am I getting their words uh, using the language that they, they prefer? It, it works. Oh, very cool. Have, have you adapted your evaluation approaches in COVID-19 to your coalition work as well? I mean, beyond the virtual logic model sessioning, obviously. <laughs> yeah, right now I'm only working with one coalition and they sort of stopped for a few months and they're just now getting started again. So uh, we're talking now about how we're going to adapt and the new project that they are going to be working toward. Um, we're going to start working on that evaluation now. So it was kind of a COVID kind of, put everything backward with that coalition that I've been working with. Yeah, we're doing everything from uh, data reviews to training, coalition meetings, logic models, all of that is, you know, via Zoom right right now. Mm -hmm. so there are some coalitions that are trying to do a hybrid approach. So some people are calling in and some people are uh, there in the space. Um, but that's, that's probably more rare. And I have, I have one that I'm working with, an extra one that is a different kind of a coalition because it's all top-level organizations that are going to work with a school district on vision programming. And um, they also kind of disappeared on me, actually, and are now, because what happened is the school district, when it was hit with COVID, said, we can't do anything right now. We just, we can't do this. And because school districts are, have all they can do to try to figure out how to get kids, you know, educated right now. So, so both of mine kind of went into tailspins. And, and so we've shifted gears on what, what we're going to do for now and how, we're, what we're going to work on uh, in terms of structuring them because they're new. Yeah. So how, how do these coalitions come together? How do these organizations come together and decide to collaborate? Is there, like, are there funding mechanisms that they decide to apply for? Like, how, how does this get going? And then, like, how do you come in? Like, how, how do these coalitions have the funding to bring in you as the evaluator as well? I'm kind of curious about all of this. A lot of them, federal grants or state grants require that they have a coalition. And they get an evaluator for the grant. And somehow they end up, I end up as the evaluator for those um, and so then they end up, in one case, the one I'm working with now, the found, I had taught a coalition workshop locally and the foundation person was there. And after she attended my workshop, she told this group that they needed to hire me. <laughs> so 
it's funny, just different ways, but it's usually a funding requirement, um, which can be good and can be bad because I've seen, I think the worst case was one community that ended up with three coalitions uh, targeting the same problem because they had three different funders that required coalitions and they had to have their own coalition. And so it became an over-coalitioned community. Interesting. <laughs> They're down to one again now. They manage that. Yeah, I think coalitions have become so popular um, that that funders are requiring them. And as Susan says that, you know, we talk about that in the workshop we teach on coalition and evaluating coalitions, the over coalition communities, because a lot of times what happens is uh, the, the real leaders in the community end up being on, you know, half a dozen different coalitions and they're just, they're, it's the same people going to, you know, 10 different meetings during the week, which is, really kind of exhausting. It would be really nice if funders got together and <laughs> collaborated more, but maybe one day. Are there things that funders mandate in these coalition evaluations, like like mandate that coalitions report back to or anything? Uh, abs- absolutely. So you, in my experience, they're usually required to have a logic model and evaluation plan, some kind of assessment that that measures what is in their plan. And, uh, you know, at least uh, an annual report, if not more frequently. Susan, what about you? Mine, it's been, um, well, one of them, it's just, you need to get an, you need to get an implementation and an evaluation plan in place and bylaws and everything. With the other one, it's, it's a collective impact model. And so they really aren't measuring some of the right things, like how many members and what percent are your clients? So even though it's supposed to be, and this has been an ongoing tension, is that we don't want to load the coalition with clients because the clients are right now trying to work on things in their own lives that asking them to be part of this big community thing is not, it's not the time. So sometimes that, that can be a tension because it's like, well, how can we get clients when they're too busy trying to figure out how they're going to get a job and how they're going to do all these other things? We're asking them to show up for coalition meetings too and that's not appropriate so uh, but that's one of the big outcome measures is how many clients even though this is supposed to be a community-wide coalition focusing on the issue not that program so it's been an interesting struggle yeah well it's nice that at least some of the funders seem just you know you as the evaluator know what you're doing just give us you know report back your plan and your reports um the previous episode that will come out um you know in between this recording and actually coming out for this episode um was on out of school time evaluation we kind of lamented about some of the um, funder required things that funders you know mandate that is reported one is usually attendance and that's not a big deal it's 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 a typical output that uh after school programs typically address anyways um but then like always academic outcomes and it's like well what if i'm not a program that's focused on academic outcomes um so i'm I'm liking the shift from a lot of funders at least in that space to more um we want to see your evaluation plans. We want to see your continuous quality improvement cycle, that type of thing. And like, then it's, it's much more local. It's grassroots of what is, what is purposeful for that program, not what is purposeful for the funder, which may or may not align directly. 
Yeah. In this case, the funder is not even asking what changes did you make or what did you do in your community? So it's like, (laughs) I just, I'm always baffled by that. If it would be easier to guide the coalition to do what they need to do if the outcomes that were requested were appropriate to what they should be doing. And in this case, they have to focus on the wrong things, which takes energy and time away from them doing what needs to happen. So it's, it's been a bit of a tension there, um, trying to figure out how to balance that. So what else in coalition evaluation should we all know about? What, what have we missed? Anything you, else you want to share? Equity, equity and justice and um, inclusion. We, I worked with a group several years back, some mostly community psychologists, of course, that came up with some principles for equity and justice. And I think one of the things that often gets forgotten is who has control over what's going to happen. Uh, oftentimes, and, and I give this lecture all the time to my coalitions, is how would you like it if somebody came into your neighborhood and said, here's what we think you need and here's what we'll do? Without, it's like somebody coming in your house and, and redecorating, you know, people come in from the outside and try to do what they want to do in communities that aren't even theirs. And so that's always a big, a big issue that I think is really important to consider that the people that live there, the people that are experiencing the problem should probably have the most say in what is done. And I've seen where people, a coalition came in and asked residents, what do you need for your women to be able to be healthier when they become pregnant? And the first project they did had to do with stray dogs. And this was to save or for pregnancy issues. Now, usually they're looking at medical, they're looking at everything else. But in this case, it was the stray dogs. Nobody could walk around safely in the neighborhood because of the stray dogs. So sometimes what we don't know what the real problem is if we're not there. So the people that are there should be the ones deciding what the problem is. Yeah, that makes me think of some of the things that I hear sometimes out in communities that, um, I mean, sometimes there's lovely things happening and some things, sometimes I hear things that, that make my hair curl, right? And it's hard because you need to, you, you want to accept people kind of where they are. You can't go in and like, Oh my God, you need, you need race equity inclusion training. You, you want to say that, but you, you have to say it in a way that can also be heard. And sometimes we get the opportunity to do that when we're developing uh, our logic model or our theory of change. And you have the opportunity to kind of get them to question their assumptions that they're making about people in the community. And when those community members are not there, it's a lot easier to make uh, make those assumptions about why people do the things they do, the choices they they make or have to make, or whatever that situation is. So it's just so so important that those folks be at the table, and I think that's our responsibility as community psychologists, and I would dare say evaluators to point that out to them and. And help um, help get, help help grow them. 
So what kind of equitable approaches are you using in your evaluation work? Are you pulling from like the equitable evaluation initiative or like what uh, equity focused practices are, are you both working in to your evaluations? I use, uh, we developed six principles for equity and justice with collaboratives that were published, I think it was 2017 or late 2016 in Nonprofit Quarterly. Uh, we take a principles focused approach and um, apply those principles as sort of the foundation for equity work. And that's sort of our guidance or the guidance at least that I've been using. That and adding, it, adding on top of it a trauma-informed approach. Because when you're working with a lot of neighborhoods or communities that have had a lot of trauma, you've also got to be very sensitive to uh, using a trauma-informed approach as well. Um, and I'll give a shout out to Martha Brown for her training that she offers on that. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's, um, I'm in Georgia. Susan is in Texas. Um, so we, we bring that to our, uh, the work that we do in communities. I think, uh, I think we both are mindful of that need for change. And we uh, suggest uh, training when it is needed. One of my uh, clients is the Georgia Family Connection Partnership. And uh, as part of that, we have been doing race equity inclusion training as a team probably for three years now. And now we're starting to roll that out into communities. It's, it's really, you know, basic at this point, And I mean, basic in a good way uh, to help communities begin to understand uh, what racism actually is. What are these hard things um, that people seem to have a hard time getting their mind around? Like, what do we mean by systemic racism? What is white privilege? It's having those conversations, but it's, it's, it's beginning to happen. So you've mentioned some workshops that you've been doing. Um, you, and you mentioned ahead of time that you're working on coalition workshops and consulting in communities workshops. Do you wanna talk a little bit more about those? So I don't know how it happened, but we uh, ended up starting uh, to teach this workshop on uh, uh, community uh, coalition and evaluation at the Summer Institute. I think we've taught it, gosh, three or four times now, Susan. We've taught a couple of workshops on consulting in communities. There is a book that has been written on consulting in communities. Uh, so there's a, yeah, there's a whole story about that. One day we'll get that puppy published. Uh, yeah, so we're doing all of those things. So we're hoping uh, to take that uh, perhaps to an online course. That's a possibility as well. Something we're talking about, make it more accessible. Did I forget yeah. anything, Susan? We do our coalition workshops. We've done everything from, what was that one? It was three days. That Two was days, long. yeah. Yeah, Two in days. Illinois. Yep. Yeah. We've done, you know, multiple days, anywhere from two hours to two days. We'll go out and do workshops on coalitions. And we've also, I think we've done, we did an e-study on the community consulting as well. Yeah, we did. Yeah, that was our e-study for AEA. We've been doing this a minute. <laughs> we tend to forget everything we've done. When I had to do like my annual reviews, just going back a year, it's like, oh, I did that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I can imagine thinking back five, ten years ago would be uh, even more challenging. <laughs> yeah, our, our late, our latest, because I'm, I, I think I'm the one that always um, is dreaming up some new things. So we have a new collaboration with our uh, colleague Jen Ballantyne called Positive Impact Consultants, and this is the mechanism that's just going to allow us to come together as evaluators to bid on projects and do maybe larger projects than as three small uh, evaluators, we wouldn't be able to do that. Fingers crossed, ask me Monday. I think we have our first contract PIC. The website just went out two days ago. And I, you know, I think as time goes on, we're hoping to kind of expand our little group, but yeah, we're pretty excited about that as well. Yeah. And, and is the one that does a lot more, um, in terms of marketing and promotions and that as well. So um, she's, she's getting us out there and going, I think. <laughs> so is PIC then, um, so it's, it's the three of you coming together to mm-hmm. work on larger projects. So how, how is that like business structure coming together? I'm, I'm just curious like how that works. That is going, that is a DBA, a doing business as for my company, Community Evaluation Solutions. And the only reason why it's under CES is because I got the short straw. <laughs> no, you had Sally. <laughs> you had probably a more of a structure in place. Uh, to accommodate that. And then we, we sat down and we thought about what are the things, you know, what, we made up an agreement among ourselves that we signed also, sort of a memorandum of agreement saying, here's how we'll work and here's how we'll handle, because we're each keeping our, our businesses as well. Right. So we'll each have our own companies and we had to hammer out, you know, how are we going to handle PIC versus our own company and not compete. And so we came up with an agreement and we all signed it and we've all, it's going well. Um, so far. Yeah. I put yeah. together a business we've worked plan. together in the past. So we finish each other's sentences. So uh, yeah, I had, I had done my business plan for my company. I've redone my business plan when all the COVID was hitting the fan in March. And I think that's where some of this started percolating. So I did a business plan for us. So this kind of takes us all the way back to how we started, which is all about relationships and finding the right people and knowing who to collaborate with. So we had really frank discussions about um, what, are you, what are our strengths and what are our weaknesses and how do we complement each other? What might drive us crazy about each other? What are we gonna do if we have conflict? Um, yeah, so we're trying to really actually model what we preach to our community coalitions and collaboratives. No, that's so cool. I, I remember having conversations uh, at the tail end of grad school when I didn't think I was going to go into academia. Uh, a lot of us at, at Claremont um, at least wanted to go into independent consulting, start our own businesses, do what you're all doing now. Um, but particularly thinking about like paying for health insurance and uh, business insurance, liability insurance, all that type of stuff, like that gets very costly, especially the health insurance right now. Um, and we had this idea and I don't know, like I don't think any of us ended up doing it, but um, of just coming together as a quote unquote, small business so that, um, you know, in the grand scheme, I think health insurance becomes a little cheaper. 
Um, but we're a kind of a loosely coupled group of people doing evaluation that um, because we all kind of do it in different areas and different sectors and have different er you know, areas of expertise that um, perhaps don't compete too much, but we're just like loosely gathered and then we can capitalize on that as like a small business, help each other out with, a, you know, if we're having troubles or anything. We've had that idea. Not, I don't think anybody did it, but it was just always just that idea and it sounded kind of fun. Well, you guys should come um, hang out to, at the IC chats on Thursday um, because we have a lot of new and emerging evaluators that, that come at noon on uh, Eastern Standard Time. So that's an awesome place to hang out and learn about independent consulting. I'm doing my coaching hours like twice a month. This is a, a COVID give, give back that I just really had the heart to do. So we had a session um, this morning, a couple of Claremont uh, grads or soon to be grads or uh, participate in, in both of those uh, thing. So it is possible. It's, it is a challenge to be an independent consultant. I am privileged that I have a husband who has health insurance. Mm. It allows me the economic space to make that decision that I recognize that some people would have difficulty making that choice or, or having that choice. Yeah, I think that's been where I've been lucky too, is that my husband has the health insurance. And so I don't have to pay for that. But I also always tell people before you get started, make sure you've got a lot of money stashed aside so that you don't have to um, be fearful of what might happen from month to month so that you can relax and take time to build that business in the way you want it to build and not just have to take anything because it helps focus. I know for me though, I think it helped too that I had been working across a lot of settings and I have so many, I've been a program manager. So now I know what it's like to sit in that person's shoes. And I've worked for the government. So I learned a lot about policy there and just different jobs I had over the years kind of helped to give me sort of that street cred and that ability to, to walk in different shoes and see different perspectives. That was helpful. Yeah, it sounds like the IC TIG, uh, the independent consulting TIG, has just been a wonderful TIG. Um, actually, the three of us, I'm not going to go into it too much. The three of us are on the TIG scan, right, to think about mm -hmm. um, – uh, I mean, there's a, a variety of things in our charge, but one of the things is to um, identify what are TIGs doing well. And I, the IC TIG is one that I just constantly hear about. I think I read the last newsletter. Um, is that the one? Is Nina the new uh, chair for that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I read that newsletter, just seeing all the things that are happening and uh, the mastermind groups. I want to have Nina on one point and talk about those masterminds because she yeah. and I are in a different mastermind and just like the the benefit of those and all the initiatives you're doing just sound really awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm in a mastermind uh, group as well. And yeah, it's been so nice to get to know a couple of people that I probably wouldn't have met. One of, one of our, um, one of our uh, business besties I had met at AEA last year, but we're all at different stages. We have different interests. So it's been, you know, pretty awesome. But, you know, I think the takes are a great place. That's how Susan and I connected. Right. We, we both ended up chairs of that TIG. We both were chairs of, I'm the business co-chair for the nonprofit and foundation TIG now. That really is, I think, I would say that probably about all three of us, that's our professional home. Yeah. And probably the right, all three of us decided to apply to be on the TIG scan in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah, that and the independent consulting TIG, honestly, I don't think I ever would have gone into consulting had I not had their support and encouragement. I, I was terrified. I really wanted to because I had done some of that in grad school. But I was also that thought of going out and being a business owner and, and having to promote myself and everything terrified me. But they were there. I mean, just and it's interesting because instead of acting competitively, there's more collaboration uh, than some of the other groups I've ever belonged with. They're, they're just the best. I mean, I don't know how else. I would not be here if not for them. So what advice would you give to evaluators who are interested in partnering, partnering with other evaluators? Now that you've worked together for years, you're getting another business going with another person. Like, what, what advice would you give? Have martinis at AEA. <laughs> uh, but Susan kind of has this thing. She like, what is that? Those cucumber martinis? Is that what you like? Oh, yeah, those were good. I haven't yeah. had one in a long time. Not, I've been locked down. Yeah, I think that's really <laughs> weird. But, um, you know, I, I just think uh, partnering with people who have, you know, the same or similar, not that necessarily the same, but similar values, um, temperaments, and that work ethic is just so important. Um, I think we're each other's, you know, critical friend, and we've become friends. So, I mean, I think it's like any other relationship and then just being super honest when, you know, when things are maybe icky or not going well. I think too, I had to, I partnered on a project very early in my consulting and and this was before I think I met you. And I don't think I was a very good partner. I think I was too controlling, um, not trusting enough. And so I think too, looking, so I had to take a really good look at myself. Look at yourself. Are you a good partner? Would you be somebody you'd even want to work with? Because after that, I did a lot of self-reflection and thought, I was a crappy partner. I feel sorry for the person I partnered with now. I really do. But I had to learn because I had come from a very competitive, dysfunctional workplace and I had to re-socialize myself to a collaborative mode, if that makes sense. <laughs> I had unsocialized my collaborative self, and now I had to re-socialize. But really look at yourself. And are you somebody you would like to partner with as well? Good point. So one of the questions I like to end the podcast with is uh, borrowed from NPR's Code Switch. And they always ask what song is giving you life, but I'd like to do it evaluation related. So what is something in evaluation that is giving you life right now? For me, it would definitely be um, the whole elevated conversation on race, equity, inclusion. Um, It, it's been there bubbling underneath the surface, but now it's, it's front and center. It's what everybody is uh, concerned about. And I think that's a beautiful thing. For me, I think it's hard to tell for me because evaluation, if I had, did not have this as a job, I would probably do it as a hobby. Hmm. I actually think it's fun to analyze data and to sit and make graphs and to design reports. And 
I do it on weekends sometimes just because I can have that quiet space to enjoy the work. So I think for me, it's not a right now energizing. It's um, been that way since I founded my business and have sort of structured myself where I want to be. Yeah. That I'm just, it's just every day is fun. I never mind coming to work. Yeah. I, I, hopefully nobody's in this biz, line of business and doesn't think that way. Cause I fully one heart, 100% agree with that. So anything coming up for either of you that you want to share with our listeners? Well, I have a new podcast and you were nice enough to talk to me about that after AEA. I finally named it yesterday. Finally pulled in a community possibilities. So <sighs> Hoping to get that started in January. I really want to have conversations with uh, people about some of the things we're talking about is, you know, what, what would it take to really change systems? So I'm hoping to have conversations with people who are out in communities really doing systems change work. Very lovely. I love the name, by the way. That is awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I think for me, it's positive impact consultants and finally kicking it off and getting our first project so that we can start moving together collaboratively, just the idea of getting to work on a team again um, versus solo is exciting to me, especially a team that I like and have worked with and um, it'll be fun. Awesome. So if anybody wants to get in contact with you, how can they best reach you? They can look uh, up Community Evaluation Solutions uh, on our webpage, now Positive Impact Consulting on our webpage. I am on Twitter at Ann W. Price on LinkedIn and uh, Facebook. And they can go to my web webpage for Susan Wolf, W-O-L-F-E. There's an E on the end. And <laughs> I always spell her name wrong. That was for me. <laughs> it was. <laughs> or they can just email me susan at susanwolfandassociates.com i'm really bad about twitter i am not as good at Anne is so much better at all of that than i am i'm such so introverted that tweeting and doing all that just sounds so hard to me <laughs> the twitter keeps changing just recently they came out with fleets now which are like the stories in instagram and facebook <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. it's uh, exhausting. Oh, yeah. All I want is the edit button. <laughs> That's all I want <laughs> is to be able to edit. <laughs> well, hopefully we are in AEA uh, in person next year because I would love to be able to sit down and have a martini after the end of a long conference day with you all and keep chatting about coalition evaluation and all this stuff. But thank you both for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Dana. It's been fun. Yeah, thanks for having us. This has been really fun. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please visit the podcast website at evaluland.fireside.fm where you can subscribe to get notified of new episodes and contact us with your questions, comments, or suggestions. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, this has been Evaluland.